I'd love for you to take your Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter 20, where we find ourselves again looking at the Ten Commandments. This morning we come to the Ninth Commandment, which deals with lying. And I was asking Karen, you know, what, what kind of story should I open with for a sermon that deals with lying? She said, just tell them your sermon's only going to be 30 minutes today and go from there. Oh, boy. Harsh. Uh, on a serious note, we live in a culture that still looks down on dishonesty, even though dishonesty is fairly common in our, our culture. There's a Time article uh, written I think quite a number of years ago, I think it's 2003, called Pumping Up Your Past, that explored the downfall of Sandra Baldwin. She was the first uh, female chairman of the U.S. Olympic Committee, and her time as chairman didn't last very long. As it was discovered, she had kind of pumped up her resume a little bit, uh, lied about where she graduated from college, lied about earning a Ph.D. And even though she had had some really incredible uh, accomplishments in her life, uh, these lies, this little bit of dishonesty still sunk her career. The article goes on to say that according to a survey of nearly 3 million job applicants, nearly 50% of American resumes contain one or more falsehoods. And indeed, we find all sorts of stories beyond Sandra Baldwin in our news of people who've embellished their resumes and got caught. I I think of athletic directors, authors, football coaches, uh, politicians, celebrity chefs, people who said, I did this when they really didn't. Um, And while our culture frowns on these kind of lies, there are certainly some culturally, um, boy, socially acceptable forms of dishonesty within our culture. And so we come to a sermon today that looks at the ninth commandment that you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. And this is another one of those commands, boy, where we've kind of seen as we've looked at the 10 commandments, another one where you could say, oh, I've never done that one. I've never bared false witness against my neighbor. And what we're going to find is once again, we fall short of God's expectation. We fall short of God's standard. And this is what the Ten Commandments kind of does. It shows us how far short we fall. None of the commands. We don't, we, don't, we don't meet any of the commandments without failure. But this is also the beauty in the Ten Commandments is they're not designed to kind of leave you in a pile on the floor, sad and depressed that you failed yet again. But they call us to look to Christ, to not find our righteousness within ourselves, but to find our righteousness in our Savior. And that's my hope for today. What I want to do is I want us to read our passage once again, Exodus chapter 20. And then we'll uh, ask God for his help in our time and his word this morning. And then we're going to jump in and talk about this ninth commandment. But would you follow along with me as I read from Exodus chapter 20? I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. Exodus 20 says this. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall, not, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, and those who hate me, uh, those who hate, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or a sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, the Lord, your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And there we will stop for this morning. So we jump into our passage and look particularly at this ninth command of not bearing false witness against our neighbor. Let's uh, first turn to God and ask him for his help in this this morning. Pray with me, please. God, we thank you this morning that we can once again open your word to come before you and to see truth as you have laid out for us, to understand more of who you are, understand your standard. And God, yet again, we're going to come to this and find that we do fall short of your standard. We've all broken this commandment, and we'll see that today, God. I pray that you would help us to see that. But as we do so, God, um, we don't come just to look at our failure, but to then turn our eyes and, and to see you and your grace to quickly run to our Savior, Jesus. And God, that is my prayer this morning, that you would help us to do this, to put an end to self-reliance and to rely on you. So God, help us in this. Help us to have clarity of mind as we look at this passage. Give me clarity of speech as I speak this morning. And God, we just, we come before you and ask that you would guide us and teach us. And so we pray this uh, in your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we read our passage and our command, the ninth command, don't bear false witness. And what I want to do is I want us to kind of look at this command a little bit this morning. I'll look at some of the details involved in this command, but then take kind of a bigger picture view of it and see kind of what's at the heart of this command. What is God getting at? And then we'll go from there. But first to look at this command, I'm going to ask you to turn just a few pages over to Exodus 23, where we sort of get an expansion of this command. We see a little bit more what God's heart is in this when he says, don't bear false witness against your neighbor want us to see that this command is more than saying, don't gossip about somebody. Uh, The consequences of bearing false witness are are much more dire. So Exodus 23, I'm just going to read the first, um, oh goodness, uh, nine verses here. And you can follow along with me. It says this, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox on or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. And if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with you, but with it, you shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. You shall not take, you shall take no bribe for a bribe blinds the clear sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. 
You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. There we get a little bit of an expansion. God's heart around this, and we see that God's heart around this command is uh, that God desires true justice. He desires a legal system that's fair. He says, you know what? Don't take the side of someone just because they're poor, but also don't pervert justice so that you prey on the poor. Uh, Justice should be such that it it is impartial to people and it seeks truth. And and there is at the heart of the justice system on your study sheet is the expectation for truth. Truth matters to God. God loves truth. We're going to take a look at that. But why is this so serious? If we look at verse 7, for instance, we see that uh, being a false witness gets equated to killing the innocent. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous. And notice how God is so serious here. He says, for I will not acquit the wicked. God's saying, don't do this. Uh, I will not acquit this. This is equated to, to murder. And why? Well, in its historic context, to bear false witness was more than just mere gossip. A false witness often had deadly consequences. Think about this. In the ancient world, you had no DNA evidence, right? You had no video surveillance. You you didn't have CSI Jerusalem going on. Uh, You had witnesses. And in many ancient societies, uh, they operated very different than ours. Our society, you're, you're innocent until proven guilty. In ancient societies, it was usually you're guilty until proven innocent. In many cultures, it was enough just to have one witness to convict you. Uh, Fortunately, God uh, said to the Israelites, you need to have more than one witness. Don't convict somebody just by one witness. Um, But still, it was by the witness's testimony that people could face very dire consequences. One biblical scholar notes this, that because many crimes are treated as capital offenses, the words of a false witness could be fatal. And indeed, as we look at history, the danger of a false witness plays out. Uh, quite often in the Bible. As we look through scripture, we find that a barren of false witness was regularly employed by the wicked to destroy the righteous. And thinking through some of the scriptures in the story of Joseph, it's Potiphar's wife who's a false witness and it ends with him spending a lot of his youth in prison. And David, as he wrote the Psalms, he talked about how malicious witnesses rose up against him. In 1 Kings, we see a story where Jezebel um, wants to get this vineyard for her, the evil king Ahab. It belongs to this guy Naboth, and she sets up false witnesses to accuse him so that they can get rid of Naboth and get the vineyard. It's a tool of the wicked to destroy the righteous. And, of course, we also see that this included the events leading to Jesus' crucifixion. In Matthew 26, the Jewish leaders utilized false witnesses to arrest Jesus. And to accuse him. And that leads to crucifixion. And even after the resurrection and after Jesus has ascended to heaven, again, the Jewish leaders utilize false witness to spread lies that Jesus' disciples uh, stole his body and started a conspiracy. In Acts 6, the Jewish leaders once again use false witness to accuse and martyr Stephen. Acts 25, again, the Jewish leaders use false witness to surround Paul with false testimony, causing him to have to appeal to Caesar and go to Rome, where ultimately that would be where his life ended. So false witness was used often. And, you know, it strikes me that as God gave this command, he knew full well exactly how it would be in the breaking of this command that his own son, our Savior, would be betrayed and mistreated. 
So we see that this is a serious command. It's a very serious command, but I want us to take a little bit of a bigger picture view of this. Because we might look at this, and like I said, we might say, well, I've never borne false witness against somebody, right? So I'm good on this one. And what we need to see is this has a much bigger view in mind. Draw your attention on that review section on your study sheet to that second uh, bullet point there. Just a reminder as we've gone through the Ten Commandments that, yes, while each command uh, does address a specific uh, sin, uh, each command also addresses a broader category of morality, Uh, These commands that say, don't do this, often are talking about the kind of the more extreme way of breaking God's command, but they have a whole category in mind. So when when the Ten Commands say, don't commit adultery, it has all sexual sin in mind. When the command says, don't commit murder, as we saw Jesus later said about that command, it has in mind all sin that relates to hatred. Uh, Today, when we look at this command that says, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, it has much more in mind, and it's not limited just to a legal setting. Actually, it has uh, in mind categorically just issues of truth, issues of falsehood. Uh, This is a command that deals with lying categorically. So we need to take that view. And and God speaks about this, uh, the consequences of false speech all over the Bible. It's not just like God throws a little tidbit in Exodus and says, oh, by the way, don't bear false witness. And that's all I'm going to say about it forever. No, if we look at scripture over and over again, God talks about false witness. He talks about lying. He talks about the dangers of how we use our mouths in dishonest ways. I threw a bunch of Proverbs on your study sheet, and that was just through me saying, huh, I wonder how hard it would be to find some things on being a false witness on lying in Proverbs. I literally opened my Bible up. Uh, It was to Proverbs 11 and just boom, there's one. Oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. And I figured I need to stop because I'll have no more study sheet to uh, give you. But just a few uh, that I'll read. Uh, Really just one I'll read. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. This gives us God's heart when it relates to matters of truth and dishonesty. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This shows up all over scripture that here we're not just talking about a legal setting. We're talking about truth and falsehood itself. We need to take a slightly bigger view, though, because as we see on the third point on, your, on the review section on your study sheet, that this is another aspect of the Ten Commandments that in prohibiting a negative action, each commandment also assumes that we'll do the corresponding positive action. In other words, this Ninth Commandment isn't just saying, don't lie, but it's also assuming that you will do the opposite of lying, which is telling truth, speaking truth. So in your study sheet, the corresponding with our third review point, this is not just saying don't lie. The positive assumption is that we are to speak truth. I'm going to read three more of those Proverbs because what I want you to see that even in the Proverbs, there's, there's this idea where you see the destructiveness of lying, but oftentimes it's contrasted with the, the quality of telling truth that builds up and restores. Proverbs 11.9 says, with his mouth, the ungodly destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous is rescued. I equate knowledge and truth there. Proverbs 11.11, a city is built up by the blessing of the upright, but is torn down by the mouth of the wicked. 
Proverbs 12, 6, the words of the wicked are a deadly ambush, but the speech of the upright rescues them. So in telling us not to lie, not to be dishonest, not to destroy others, we also find a positive command that says, speak the truth, be honest, build others up. Now, we do got to be careful here because we need to make sure that we don't confuse speaking the truth with uh, saying whatever comes to our mind having no filter, foolish talk, gossip. Sometimes we can pride ourselves so much, and I'm a person that just speaks the truth, and really what we do is we say things that ought not to be said, don't we? Do you ever notice this in people? That we can say things that we ought not to in the guise of I'm speaking the truth? You know, this happens with gossip too, especially in church circles. I can say things that I ought not to be saying, because I am, you know, I'm speaking the truth or, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, just sharing a prayer request, right? Sometimes prayer requests become ways of letting people know what the down low is. Or sometimes it gets put into the guise of, you know, I'm just holding a brother or sister up. You know, I, I'm holding them accountable. You know, the Bible gives guidelines for how to hold people accountable. And Matthew 18 talks about when you bring other people into that. So we got to be careful with our mouths and what we say that uh, being people who speak truth doesn't mean I just speak without filters or without thinking. In fact, Proverbs says a lot about how our mouths and the many words that we can say can lead to all sorts of trouble. So we kind of got this bigger view of this, that yes, this is bigger than just a legal setting. This deals with all matters of truth and lies. This is more than just a thing that says, don't do this. It also says, do speak truth. But we might come to the question and say, well, okay, but who's my neighbor, right? And Jesus was asked this very question, who is my neighbor? And we might recall how Jesus answered this. What did he say? Well, he told the story of the Good Samaritan. And in this story, if you know anything about the Jewish culture of the day, there was nobody that they despised more than the Samaritans. And so Jesus, to basically tell a Jewish audience, actually, even the Samaritans are your neighbor, is in a sense telling us, Everybody's your neighbor. And so as, as we, we come to kind of this end of this little section here, I think it's important for us to see that there's, there's really not one situation where I'm not called to be an honest person. God's expectation is in all situations towards all people, we are to be people of truth. Now, we might ask, why does God care about truth so much? Why does God speak so much in the scriptures about truth and about falsehood and the dangers of dishonesty? Well, I think there's several things we have to look at to this. You know, one of the things I, I, I want us to see this morning is that God didn't just make some arbitrary decision one day and say, you know, I don't really like lying. So I'm going to say, don't do it. That's not what God did. The reason that God hates lying is it's, a, it's an affront to his very character. It, it, it goes right to the heart of God's nature, his being. On your study sheet here, I want us to look at several things. First of all, what, why does God uh, care so much about truth? Why does God hate dishonesty so much? Well, first of all, dishonesty insults God. So I just said the value of truth is rooted in God's character. That's what I, I threw a few other things there. God is truth. As creator, God is the one to whom all truth points. I was looking at some of what scripture says. Uh, I, I'm going to read the words of John chapter one, 
John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. God's the one who created everything. All creation, all reality finds its origin in God. All truth points back to God. John 1 goes on in, in verse 14 and says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. So with this in mind that when Jesus was speaking in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. That Jesus as the Son of God could say, I am truth. Please understand this, that underlying all of creation, all of reality is God. Everything in creation points to God. Everything that is true ultimately speaks of God. So whenever we lie, whenever we are being dishonest, what we are actually doing is insulting God in his character. Interestingly, when Jesus walked on earth, he hung out with a lot of sinners, didn't he? The only people he criticized were the Pharisees. What did he criticize them about? It, it, it was the fact that they were hypocrites. They were essentially liars. It's interesting how much that bothered Jesus, and rightfully so, because it, it insulted God's very being. Second thing is dishonesty betrays God. Those who are in Christ should love truth. This is what John 8 talks about. And on the other hand, those who repress truth and lie belong to somebody else. Notice what Jesus says in John 8, 42 through 47. It says, Jesus is speaking to the, the religious leaders. And he said to him, if God were your father, you would love me for I come from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. In other words, Jesus is saying, the reason you can't hear me, not, not audibly, but the reason you can't believe what I'm saying to you, you don't want to be hearing from me, is because you don't actually come from God. You don't love truth. If you came from God, you would love truth. Rather, what does he say? Continue on in John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he's a liar and the father of lies. So what's, what's Jesus saying? On your study sheet, those who repress truth and lie, they belong to Satan. They're mimicking their, their spiritual father. And here's the thing I want us to see today. When we lie, when we bear false witness, when we, we end up participating in the very things that Satan used against Jesus and the things that he uses against God's saints today. Hey, this is very serious to bear false witness is to use that very tool that Satan used. It's in a way to ally ourselves with Satan. And so when I lie, I don't just insult God. I betray him by siding with his adversary. And this is why God is so serious about truth. Now, not only does dishonesty insult God, and not only does it betray God, but dishonesty violates our calling as Christians. Because you see, Christians are entrusted with the total opposite of being a false witness. We are called to be witnesses of Christ, empowered by, on your study sheet, the spirit of truth. Listen to what John 15 says in verse 26 through 27. Jesus is talking about when his ministry on earth is going to end. And he's talking about he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit supposed to do for us? 
He says, but when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He was saying, when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to bear witness about me. He's the Spirit of truth, by the way. And he's going to help you to be a witness. And this was confirmed later in Acts 1 8, a verse that a lot of us are very familiar with. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power for what? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see that? When we lie, when we are dishonest, we're not only directly contradicting God, but we're violating the very role that God's given us to be his witnesses and going against the very nature of the Holy Spirit that God has given us, the spirit of truth. So here's the thing. As we saw last week in the command not to steal, we saw how that command became an expression of the second great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And here, when it comes to not bearing false witness against your neighbor, we also see in that is the second great commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. There is a horizontal element when it comes to speaking truth and not lying. But in this commandment as well, I don't want us to miss that there's a vertical element there too. That this is also an expression of the first great command to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. That when we say things that are untrue when we are dishonest, we are breaking that first great commandment. This, I think, is why God is so serious about truth and dishonesty and and why we need to take it seriously as well. So how do we do this? How do we respond to God's word? And uh, the title of our sermon today is why telling the truth is so hard. And we might ask, why is telling the truth so hard? And I think there are several things that that make telling the truth hard. First of all, I think our culture has a lot to do with it. We live in a relativistic culture that I think that we can unwittingly buy into the ideology of our culture. and, and, And our culture needs people who will speak truth, true truth. What do I mean by a relativistic culture? Our culture is one that says truth is, is socially constructed. That there's no universal truth. It's just what's true to you. And this, this mindset has led to a lot of the rapid shifts in morality that we've seen in our culture. And I think that we got to be very careful that we are not led astray by relativism because ultimately relativism is self-defeating, it's self-contradictory, and it doesn't lead to anywhere good. How, how is it self-defeating and self-contradictory? Well, first of all, the very claim of relativism is contradictory. The claim that there is no truth that no universal truth exists is in itself a universal truth claim. It's contradicting its very self. So we shouldn't be surprised when we see contradictions within relativism. Relativism requires a contradictory form of tolerism. If there's no universal truth, if there's no God, then we need to be tolerant of everybody's truth. Well, we need to tolerate everybody's truth, except for when somebody comes along and says they have ultimate truth, then we can be intolerant towards them. And so what seeks to be tolerant, therefore, must necessarily become intolerant and itself must become the one that says, I'm the ultimate truth. It's contradictory. It's contradictory in terms of moral judgments because it has to judge anyone who disagrees that there's no universally defined morals. You'll find this if you argue today in our our society for 
a biblical view of marriage or a biblical view of gender, you will quickly be told that you are an evil person, that, that you are wrong and morally repugnant. How can you make moral claims when there's no universal basis to morality? Uh, on whose universal principle are you making these moral claims? And yet there, there, is, there is contradictory nature to this. Relativism is inconsistent in its standards. It's fine to identify as whatever gender you want, and yet you still are not allowed to identify as any race that you want. And so what we see is a society that's becoming more and more contradictory of itself. And it's within this society that especially Christians need to be truth speakers. Al Mohler says this about relativism. He says, if there's no truth, there's no lies. If there's no truth, there's no God. If there's no lie, there's no sin. If there's no sin, there's no gospel. All a lie. And so we need to be very careful that we don't get sucked into this unwittingly and find ourselves thinking in a relativistic way. We need to remember that there is true truth and we need to be speakers of true truth. And one of the ways that we fail to do this is when we we are in public discussion and when we agree to table all God talk in the public square. Acting as though a humanistic, atheistic ideology is somehow the neutral or non-offensive worldview. And this itself, I believe, is an affront to God. To act like God doesn't exist, that's a neutral stance, really? There's actually nothing neutral about it. It's just saying that the humanistic, relativistic, atheistic mindset is actually the greater truth than ours. That's what happens when we act as this is the neutral or non-offensive basis. No, we need to be people who speak of God and, and operate as though God exists and don't dismiss him from the public square. So we need to be this. We need to be people who just, and this is one of the areas why it is hard to tell the truth because we, we are influenced by our culture, sometimes unwittingly, and we need to be students of our culture. And, you know, for a culture that contradicts itself, we need to be people who don't contradict ourselves. If we say there is universal truth, then we of anybody need to be the people who are not being dishonest. Hmm. But this can be hard, and one of the other reasons this can be hard is we can feel, fail to see the problem with dishonesty that's not an outright lie. It's really easy to look at this and say, well, I'm not an outright liar, right? But sometimes dishonesty can be kind of veiled. This includes when we stretch or shape the truth. It includes when we tell the truth in ways that are misleading. It can be true when we justify dishonesty or when we spiritualize it. Well, let me break this down a little bit. I violate the ninth commandment by shaping or stretching the truth. When I exaggerate to make myself look better, when I shape the truth to manipulate people, when I use false flattery to get my way, even when I tell the truth, but in a way that's intentionally misleading. These are all ways that I violate God's ninth command. Now you might ask, but surely there's got to be a time where, you know, dishonesty is all right, right? Like, What about when people were hiding Jews from the Nazis? And indeed, I think this is a really good question. In fact, I like this little story that El Moeller tells. Similar situation, didn't have anything to do with Nazis, but tells of a time in 1803 that the long-run Baptist church in Louisville, Kentucky, had a church fight and split. 
There was a theological debate over the issue of lying. The question was, if an Indian raiding party came and demands of you to tell them where you've hidden your children, are you obligated to tell them the truth or are you allowed to tell them a lie? And this was not an abstract question in 1803, and it led to a split within the congregation. They split into the lying Baptists and the non-lying Baptists. I love that. I would say this, because as I look at the Bible, we do have instances where people like Rahab hid spies. There's deception that happens. And I think that God does overlook lying when protecting innocent people from immediate harm. It's the emphasis on innocent and immediate there. After all, the thrust of the ninth commandment is not to bring harm to your neighbor. And my word should not endanger an innocent person's life. However, this is really for extreme circumstances, which very few of us face. And we need to be careful because we can easily justify ourselves that we're lying for somebody's benefit when really it has nothing to do with immediate harm or mortal danger. There are some ways that we can end up justifying dishonesty. For instance, it's never okay to lie when trying to exert justice. Even if it's someone you're really, really, really certain is a guilty, evil person. And, and you could just tell a little extra something to make sure that they face justice. It's not okay. This does not apply to perceived harm. If you're certain a political policy is going to harm people. And you can sweeten your argument just by bending the truth a little bit. This is not okay. It's not okay to lie when you think, well, this person just needs to be protected from the truth. And, you know, in all these things, I, I'm sure we could nuance and everything. At the end of the day, what we have to say is God hates dishonesty and he will hold us accountable. A final way we can be dishonest is when we spiritualize dishonesty. In Christian community, this is done by making myself look more spiritual than I really am. It might happen when I say, I'm praying for you when I haven't prayed for you. It might be when I act like I have my whole life together when things are falling apart or that I really don't need that much of grace from God because I'm pretty well put together. And in a Christian community, we need to remember such dishonesty is called hypocrisy. And I need to be willing to confess my sin and admit my need for Jesus's righteousness daily. Now, all this is also hard because this isn't just a matter of our own willpower. And I'll end with looking at Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, because there's a spiritual element to this struggle. Paul talks about this, and we see in Ephesians 4, uh, a lot that, that we've talked about today, matters of truth, matters of slander, matters of foolish talk. And Paul says this, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Hear that truth claim. The truth is in Jesus. He goes on to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. Now, what's the result of putting on this new self? Well, he goes on, he says, therefore, having put away every away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There's the eighth commandment that we looked at last week. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. There's today's commandment addressed. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. And speaking on this passage, uh, Tim Keller says some things that I think are helpful. He says, this is the most common mistake people make about Christianity. Christianity is not ultimately becoming more moral. Morality, even Christian morality, even Jesus-centered ethics is not Christianity. Paul's not talking about putting on and putting off behaviors. He's talking about a whole new self. Becoming a Christian is being something before it's doing something. It's a comprehensive interchange, not just how you live, but who you are now. And what we see Paul saying in Ephesians, what we see Tim Keller kind of summarizing there is what makes this so hard is that as people, we tend towards self-reliance that I have this new creation in me that I have this new self that allows me to obey God. But I also still have my sin nature in me, this old self that tends to pull me back to relying on me. It tells me I can't quite trust God in this. And after all, to tell the truth requires a lot of trust, doesn't it? And it requires me to really be trusting God. And that's oftentimes why we start shaping our, our truth and being dishonest because we, we just have to fix things a little bit ourselves. Now there's, there's a call to not just try harder. There's a call not just saying, don't do this, but it's a call that says, turn to Christ, put off the old self, put on the new self. Don't rely on yourself, rely on Christ. A call to daily turn to Christ, to seek our, our ability and our power in Jesus. And this is what we need. This is, this is my, my goal in this message today. It's not that when you find yourself, perhaps in the week ahead, you find yourself being dishonest in an area. Maybe it's an area you never really thought about before, but now you, you get kind of pricked in your heart. And my goal is not in that moment that you say, darn it, I did it again. I'll try harder. Oh, I'm such a rotten person. No. My goal is that when your heart gets pricked, that you say, ah, oh, I need Jesus. Oh, I need to turn back. Jesus, help me to be a person of truth. Jesus, help me. Then in that pricking of our heart, it would not lead to guilt, but it would lead to Christ. That is my prayer for us. And so I want to pray for you in that way this morning. And I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll close our time with a word of prayer this morning as you go out into your week. But let me pray for us. God, we thank you for our time this morning in your word. Just looking at this ninth commandment, and we said at the beginning, uh, it's true. We fail in this area too. I find areas in my life where I shape the truth, where I'm dishonest, where I just need to do a little bit to help you take care of me. And God, in those moments, I, I'm trusting myself and I'm betraying the very nature of who you are as, as, as the God of truth. God, I would pray that in those moments when I do that and that those moments when those who are here do that this week, that, that our hearts would be pricked, that we would be bothered a little, and that in that pricking, we would turn to you and remember again, oh, I need Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. For, I'm not righteous, but thank you that you are righteous, and thank you for covering me with your righteousness. 
God, in that process, I pray that you would enable us and equip us to be people of truth, people who are willing to speak truth, people who are willing to speak truth with grace and kindness. And God, I would pray that today, that this congregation, as they go about their week, wherever they find themselves, that you would help us in that process. Thank you again for your word. Thank you for speaking to us this morning, God, and thank you for your truth. Thank you for being truth. And we pray all this through your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.